my name is David Norris and welcome to this podcast on acting in an inflationary environment and then thinking about the impact on accounting estimates. So in this podcast, we want to talk about uh, inflation and accounting estimates. Inflation, firstly, then has been affecting uh, all kinds of businesses, I guess, primarily those uh, heavy in, on fuel usage. But clearly, inflation in a lot of costs, a lot of resources, perhaps because of Brexit uh, or other issues like COVID, uh, and uh, a lot of shortages, of course, prices to go up. So it may be that all the inputs that your client is facing are going to be inflating. And this could cause all sorts of problems, both in the attitude of your client uh, and uh, also in, in the risks that they face. So primarily, I think we'll talk about auditing in this session. But of course, uh, a lot of these issues are relevant for all clients, uh, certainly when it comes to disclosure and thinking about the going concern and fraud issues. So if we think about inflation, it's putting costs up and then more broadly is putting financial pressure on the company uh, and on all clients. And so when we're planning any assignments, particularly an audit, we need to be aware of these risks, perhaps linked to uh, the environment and the lack of staff, potentially. We also need to think about whether there's an increased risk that internal controls or processes are no longer working as they were before. Uh, I was at a client not too long ago and we had a fire drill and we went outside and there were no fire marshals. And they said, oh, we've got several just none of them are working in the office today. And uh, so is some of the current environment for home working, maybe people wanting to work at home more because travel is expensive, is that going to cause more of a problem with internal controls? Uh, clearly an issue for audits, but I guess for all clients, does that mean that the financial information you'll get will be less timely, less reliable, or perhaps both? Then about fraud, we clearly need to talk about fraud. I know there's an ISA if you're an auditor and you'll be looking very carefully at fraud. But for all of our clients, we need to be thinking, is there an increased fraud risk? There is this well-known fraud triangle, uh, incentive, opportunity and rationalisation. Now, there's a real challenge at the moment that all sides of the triangle are under pressure. Normally, you would uh, expect to see increased fraud even if only two have gone up. But at the moment, you might argue that incentive has gone up uh, because we need more money because of inflation. Opportunity may go up because uh, there are internal controls failing. There's a lack of staff. And rationali uh, rationalization may increase because people are saying, well, everyone's doing it or I need it to feed my family and pay my bills, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a real concern that staff may improve uh, on, uh, may increase the amount of fraud. Of course, don't forget, it's not just the staff. Is there any pressure on those that run the business? Is there any pressure to commit fraudulent, perhaps fraudulent financial reporting to keep parent companies happy, to keep bank managers happy, because the current results that they're facing are not as good as they've promised, not as good as they need to meet bank covenants, not as good as they need perhaps to have distributable profit to take dividends. 
Um, and so could there be a number of pressures on the business to commit fraud? So some of that is based on employees and uh, any concerns. Perhaps you're more vulnerable about those that have uh, control over financial matters, maybe uh, more um, vulnerable with those employees that have uh, performance-based remuneration, and they may try to manipulate things by looking like they're doing better than they really are. Um, those things certainly need to be thought about. Uh, then what about your other costs that the business has got? And what are we going to do with those costs? So I guess any um, budgeting that the client has, if you're at all concerned about going concern, and remember, you've got ISO 570 on going concern if you're an auditor, but I guess for all clients, they may need help with budgeting. Um, they may be walking into a terrible situation. Can you help them? How do you explain to them maybe that their current costing model is not working? How do they plan their prices? How do they budget for jobs? What does poor budgeting mean for things like long-term contracts? Are there going to be any penalties? Are there any foreseeable losses? Are we going to see um, onerous lease contracts where businesses again start to decide whether or not they want to restructure? Will businesses then try and cap some of these costs with forward contracts, which might be an issue for accounting for those, uh, and we'd need to see what's been signed? Uh, so they may try and do a forward exchange contract uh, if they're dealing overseas, uh, or they may at least have signed a contract for heating. And you need to think about what that means. Um, so certainly when it comes to budgeting, if they you might need to help them. And if they're using those budgets to talk to finance providers, if they're using that to talk to the bank, are you happy they're fair? Do you need to help them? I mean, yes. What does that mean for going concern risk if you're an auditor? But surely for all clients. Is there an issue that we need to help them or correct them if they're using old, inaccurate budgets to justify uh, having money from the bank? And we know that's not correct or not supportable. And if you have a company that's not an audit, of course, a significant risk and material uncertainty relating to going concern should be disclosed, even if it's not an audit. Um, revenue, are we at all concerned that revenue pricing structures will need to change? Uh, what does that mean for income recognition? It might just be that we're facing just prices going up. But if you've got any uh, contractual income, just check they don't have any uh, ability to put prices up within the contract period. Are you sure you're accurately reflecting that in the accounts? Uh, define benefit pension scheme numbers. If you have any of those, it's likely they will change uh, because of the environment. Make sure you have an up-to-date uh, valuation and the client has considered that. Be thinking then broadly about any disclosure that needs to be made. Uh, is there anything about uh, post-balance sheet events, non-adjusting that we need to disclose in our companies and then audit if it's an auditor? Uh, are there any going concern risks that need to be uh, disclosed? Um, finally, which links into our next bit, impairment and uh, I suppose accounting estimates generally or accounting calculations. Are there any numbers that have been calculated that are based on estimates uh, or any assets that might be subject to impairment that you need to go back to and evaluate carefully? So um, I guess, firstly, if we think about very common things like stock, 
Um, is your client valuing stock based on its proper current cost or are they using uh, a very out of date cost model, which historically hasn't been a problem, but it is going to be a problem going forward if they're using last year's cost price for stock? Uh, are there any amounts that uh, are based on uh, an absorption costing model? Are you accurate in your development cost capitalization number or are you using a standard calculation that is out of date? Uh, same perhaps could be said for work in uh, work in progress. There could be other assets and uh, that just need to be careful generally for write-off. So things like debtors, of course, most commonly. Are there any debtors where you think, hold on a minute, uh, I know that that customer is struggling and so there may be issues with that. But then more uh, complicated assets like your valuation of the property. How is that based? Do we need to come back to that, uh, be very careful on that valuation each year. And then what about any assets that we're not using anymore or are not generating any profit anymore? Do you have any cash generating units or do you have any individual assets that are just not uh, making money? And then we need to go back to our impairment thoughts. So we're thinking about impairment. We're looking for indicators of impairment first. Oh. There are indicators of impairment because that cash generating unit's not making a profit uh, or that asset, that property, that machine, that's not making, it's not used anymore because it's no longer profitable to make that or have that activity uh, that we had before. And so if we have that situation, we need to think about our impairments. We need to think about a value uh, of sale, a net realizable value, and compare that to the value in use. So we need to then think about the the net uh, net present value of cash flows for that asset or cash generating unit if we have to look at it in the whole, and then think well okay so we've got the sales value we've got the uh, value in use which is higher and we are thinking long term of course if it's if we think this is a short term blip. Our future cash flows, our assessment will show growth in future. But we need to look at what's best to do in the short term, sell it or keep it. So which is highest, sales value or uh, the value in use, and then compare that to the carrying value. And if the carrying value is uh, higher than the uh, other number that we spoke about, then we're going to have to look to write it down. And so we need to be thinking about impairments, as perhaps you did a lot more in COVID, as businesses perhaps make a loss, maybe they stop certain activities or certain activities are no longer generating profit. As businesses change strategy, we need to be very careful that impairment gets due consideration. A quick think then for you auditors about ISA 540. ISA 540 was revised and you've now had, uh, I would assume, one year for your clients of implementing the new ISA 540. Uh, ISA 540 is all about auditing um, accounting estimates. We already had uh, an ISA uh, 540, but this is revised and expanded. And I appreciate in a number of cases, you might not have a lot of estimates. Your estimates might just be things like uh, depreciation and, and stuff like that. It might be relatively uh, a low risk and, and low value often in many cases. But where there is a material estimate, then we need to make sure that we've got good documentation in place. 
I assume your methodology has been, uh, your audit programs have been updated. And so they have new questions, but we still get questions about practically, you know, what should I be putting on file? Well, don't forget to go back to whatever course notes you used at the time, or indeed go back to the ISA itself and think about what you should be documenting. So we need to understand, first of all, how does management get this number for us? So what are the controls? What are the processes? How would they know it's wrong? How would they correct it? How are they bringing in factors outside of the sort of basic numbers in front of them? All that kind of stuff needs to be documented. Uh, so if we have an investment property, so there's an estimate um, that's going to have to be fair valued each year. We're going to be writing comments like, OK, we have a investment property. It's valued each year. Fair value going through profit and loss account. Deferred tax going through profit and loss account. That complies with UK GAAP. Uh, the number is uh, calculated by management in conjunction with an external expert. And as part of that process, they discuss factors like the use of the property, the condition, the uh, tenants and the outstanding leases on the property, and they uh, then produce a valuation for us as auditors. So it doesn't have to be long stuff on the file, and you might have different estimates, whether it's long-term work in progress or uh, other things, but that's the kind of things we want to know. How does management get this number? And you certainly don't want to write as auditor, it's me that gives the number. Management must own that process. How do they get the number? How are they controlling it? Are we using experts? How would they know if it's totally wrong? We want to get that documented on file. Then we need to do some audit work. And this didn't really change, I would argue, with the revision of the ISA, but it is very obvious and some firms still forget it. Where we've got a key estimate, we need to do one or more of the following. Get post-date evidence, test how management made the estimate, or make our own point or range estimate. So we need to get post-year-end evidence, or we need to test how management made it, or we develop our own estimate or some combination of those. So if we think about the valuation of an investment property, then we're going to say, OK, um, here it is. We've got this value from management produced with the help of an external valuer. Have we got any post year end evidence? No, because the property's not been sold. That's a bit of a shame. So we can't do that one. What's the next one? Test how management made the estimate. Ah, OK, we can certainly do that. So then, as we often say to firms, then you test the process. Who's this external valuer they've used? What did they do? When did they do it? Are they qualified? Are they independent? Are they competent? Do we think they know what they're doing? Have they given us all the detail and the scope of their work? And then often, you would want to do a bit more than that. Depends on the risk and the size. And so then you look at the last one. You might, as auditors, say, well, let's develop my own estimate. Let's just have a gut feel. Uh, well, more than a gut feel, I suppose. Let's look for something that I can do as a non-expert to see whether this expert seems to be in a reasonable ballpark. So that might be thinking about other clients you've got. That might be looking at websites or, or um, land registry, getting an idea of property movements in that area. 
And then, of course, through it all, we are drawing a robust conclusion and saying, are we happy that given the risk, we've got all the evidence that we need and it's disclosed appropriately in the accounts? So if anyone's interested and wants to talk about that more, then we do have a technical query helpline. And of course, this is a relatively new ISA uh, and it is likely to be something that QAD inspectors look at very carefully. Um, we do have some example working papers. If any firm is interested, uh, please contact our technical query hotline and we through our website and we can talk you through those. So in conclusion, I think we are in a very difficult environment with inflation rising, uh, a lot of financial pressure on individuals and businesses with a lack of staff, perhaps, and a delay in getting raw materials and supplies and uh, no doubt a lot of nervousness of customers. What is that going to do to the attitude of your clients? those that own it and want money, those that lend money to it, and those that work in it. Are we sure that we're capturing all of those issues, thinking about disclosure and thinking about audit risk? And then particularly when it comes to estimates, I know that this ISA is maybe, it's been revised for more than a year, uh, but let's not get too familiar with it. Let's make sure we treat it very seriously, particularly given all these issues about inflation. That means estimates may be again in the spotlight. So thank you for listening, and I hope that was helpful. Goodbye. <laughs>